Wonderful, wonderful. God is indeed love, and we are so happy that you are here this morning. And if you're a visitor, I hope you feel that sense of love with us here at Birdwell's Chapel. So glad to have you here this morning. A boy once asked his dad about how wars began. Dad, what, what starts a war? How, how do wars begin? The dad decided to expound upon World War I, what happened there. And he started to discuss Germany, the things that it was doing at the time. And the mother interrupted him and said, now, that's not true. Don't you know that World War I actually started actually with a murder of someone? And the father, with an air of superiority, stands up and says, Who is answering this question? Is it you or is it me? And she slams the dishes down that she was cleaning and storms out of the kitchen, slams the door. And the son said, Don't worry about it, Dad. I think I know how wars begin now. <laughs> indeed, indeed, conflict. That's how wars start one way or another. And indeed, conflict starts that way in our homes in our churches, in businesses. We're going to talk this morning about conflict resolution. For our visitors, I'm a counselor outside of here, so I work with people a lot on resolving conflict. And it is a natural part of life, as we are all not going to agree on things. Two people have an idea, and both want to go, hopefully, in the best direction for those involved. This is how conflict can actually be good. If you have an idea and someone here at church has an idea and, there, and there's a conflict, hopefully you both want what's best for the congregation here. Same as in, in your homes. Husband, wife, hopefully both of you have ideas, but those sometimes collide. But hopefully the result is something that's what's best for the home. That's how conflict can actually be good. But we know in general, conflict is something that we must resolve. It must work through so that we can come to some sort of resolution. Conflict, it must be short-lived. That's one of the qualifications of good conflict because it does not edify. Conflict does not communicate love. Okay, It, it does in some ways, but in a very small, small way. Because conflict, it will either move to a resolution or it will escalate. Okay, two places, because even if you're sweeping it under the rug and you're not talking about what's going on, the conflict, the elephant in the room is still there. So you have this conflict moving along in a continuum. Maybe you're talking about it, maybe you're not. But you've got two choices. You can escalate the conflict. And you do this by yelling at your spouse. You do this by talking behind your co-workers back and not going directly to them and resolving the conflict. You do this by making the situation worse. There's already a conflict. Hopefully it's something that once resolved, you both will come to a greater understanding of one another and the issue at hand. But if not, you're escalating the conflict. Your other choice here is to resolve it. You like my smiley face there? The other issue, the other thing that you must do is try to resolve the conflict. Conflict that does not resolve itself affects all of those around you, whether it's in the church or whether it's in the home. People, too, will oftentimes take on the responsibility of the conflict, even though they're not involved in it. This happens in the home a lot. When mom and dad are arguing, 
The little boy, the little girl will sometimes think it's their fault. Talk to a young man this week about that. Mom and dad, you're not going to always agree on things, but one of the things you must do is you know, show your children that when there is conflict, it can be resolved, and that mom and dad do love one another. Whatever is at the heart of that conflict, whatever it might be, disagreement on money, disagreement on parenting, disagreement on work, disagreement on a bad habit someone may have, that conflict is going to be present, and it will either escalate or it will resolve. And that's the direction we must move. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12, we'll be looking here about what Brother Paul told the church at Rome regarding conflicts. Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. What's the first thing we do sometimes when we have a conflict? We run and tell somebody. We try to get people on our side. Or we, or we yell at the person. We escalate it, right? Paul is telling the Romans here, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but you've got to bless them. And throughout Scripture, there's this message of if you have a conflict with somebody, you want to try to work it out with them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's a, that's a sign of empathy. When you feel with someone, whenever you know what they're going through and you work to make a connection with that person, why? Because we as Christians are supposed to be bestowing the salve of the love of Christ onto those who are hurting. And this is one of the ways we do it. We rejoice with those who rejoice, we feel good with them, or we weep with those who weep. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. A lot of times that's why conflict arises is, we think, well, I know more than you do about the topic. I know more about that. Don't be haughty, he says. Don't think too highly of yourself. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We're going to have conflict, but as far as it depends on you, don't escalate that conflict. Work to resolve, work to find a win-win solution, and be at peace with all men. So how are we supposed to handle conflict? We're going to be looking at two passages in the book of Matthew. We'll be there in just a moment. But one of the things that we must learn about conflict, if we're to handle it appropriately, because it's going to come along, but we've got to be able to handle it appropriately, is we must stop it before it starts. Proverbs 17, 14 says that the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. You feel a conflict coming along? Hey, 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 hold up. Feel like we've got some, some bad vibes going on here? Let's talk about this. What's really going on? You know, Because sometimes people are mad over something else rather than what they're talking about. So you want to try to stop that conflict before it breaks out. Stop it early. Are you ever in the market, for instance, for a new car? You ever done that? You know, been start looking at a car. You know, I like this color. I like that color. Suddenly, that's the only car you ever see on the road because you're looking for it, right? You're looking for a good deal on, on whatever car you're looking for, and suddenly you see 10 on the road between here and Bowling Green because it's on your mind, you see. That car is on your mind. 
Some people look for conflict. Some people, that's the only way they know how to live because one reason is that's all they've ever known. That's probably how they were brought up in their home, constantly witnessing conflict from mom and dad. And so they don't know how else to live. Well, Scripture teaches us how we can live differently, how we can live in such a way that we can be at peace with all men, peace with our spouses, peace with our Father in heaven, peace with ourselves. Because sometimes that's one of the toughest, is being at peace with yourself and with who you are. For those that look for conflict, it goes along with, with how they think. And sometimes it's even used as a method of control, unfortunately. Because if you can create conflict and then somehow make it seem like you resolve that conflict, you're in control, right? This is how our politics work sometimes. You create some type of conflict, then be the, the person that runs in and saves the people. And then at that point, you know, you're the hero or you're the one that's in control. And so you don't want to be that one, however, that's looking for conflict. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 13 says, He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Sometimes we think we're right, we're haughty in our mind and in our spirit. And whenever we have something we want to talk about and discuss, we think we already know the answer. Well, you might be the smartest person in the room, but sometimes that means you know to listen as well. So be the one who listens rather than trying to be the one who's always looking for conflict. But sometimes conflicts cannot be avoided because we're human. Conflict, to be positive, must, re must end within a reasonable amount of time. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul says this to the church at Ephesus, Be angry and yet do not sin. So we can have a conflict, you see. We can have a conflict with our spouse, with a co-worker, with a friend, and still not sin. And Paul says here, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. The first part of this verse says, work it out before you go to sleep. Okay, Work it out. That's a very, very wise instruction. And then he brings up Satan here. Do not give the devil an opportunity. What's that tell us? That tells us that when you're angry... When you have a conflict with someone, that's an opportunity for Satan to step in. For Satan to step in and say, hey, why don't you go say this about them? Won't that make them feel worse? You know, that'll get them. That'll really goad them if you go tell this person and, and start that rumor and say something bad about them. You know, that'll really, that'll really get at them, won't it? This is where Satan finds his opportunity. Because when we are in conflict with one another in our homes in our congregations, if we're not positively working on the conflict, we're being pushed further and further away, and that gives Satan an opportunity. So we must, we must solve the conflict quickly. While conflict may be used as a tool to establish the best path, it is also oftentimes a barrier. It's difficult to listen to someone when you're having a conflict because we're all mad about it, you see. And people avoid resolving conflict because it's tough. I don't want to talk about it. Sometimes it's good when you have a conflict to take a time out because you're real emotional, you see, and you're upset. This happens in the home a lot. You're upset, and it's okay. I tell my clients a lot, you know, take a time out. Chill out for a little bit. 
timeouts don't last five days, okay? They last like 15 minutes or so, so you can get your, your mind together, so you can push that barrier away, reach through, and start to really talk and communicate with that person. But by not working to resolve the conflict quickly, you give it time to fester. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 through 25. Here we learn about personal relationships and how we are to work to resolve a conflict, especially in relation to worshiping our God. Matthew 5 and verse 23, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, that you have a conflict, that your brother is upset with you about something, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. So while you're worshiping, it says, go and, and help that person resolve that conflict with you because it's going to get in the way of your worship. This person knew that the conflict was keeping him from worshiping appropriately. We would say that he was prudent, that he was sensible, that he was cautious. He didn't want that conflict keeping him from worshiping God, so he went and remedied that. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 15 says this, The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. That's what we must do whenever we feel conflict coming on. We must consider our steps. The naive person says that conflict will get me what I want. A lot of times people use that. Ever have a child throw a tantrum? They're trying to get what they want. They're trying to create conflict. Adults will do the same. If they don't agree with what's going on, they'll create conflict, and suddenly we try to placate that person, we try to make them happy, so the conflict goes away. Well, we must consider our steps and what's going on there. A anger, conflict, and anxiety are our first thing we go to quite often, and they can be so very destructive. But they are the first thing we want to rely on, it seems. Next, we learn that conflicts are best resolved face to face. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 is another example of what happens and what we must do when conflict comes along. Technology has enabled us to communicate in a variety of ways, and this is a good thing. Have you ever had a conflict with somebody and texted them or emailed them? That can be, that can be very useful. We can say exactly what we mean, and we get a chance to proofread what we're sending. But I would advise using that sparingly, because the ease of communication can also be a bad thing. It's easy to misread emails and difficult to really communicate what you are thinking and feeling through a text. Even with the emojis that we have, they can still come across as negative. If you have to say in your email or your text message, now I don't want to sound rude, that probably means you sound rude and you probably shouldn't send it. So it's much better, you see, to handle things face to face. If you meet face to face with the person you are in conflict with, you can better communicate and better work things out and even give them a hug if they need one. If you need one, you can do that face to face. 
This is best done like that. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 says this. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. The conflict here is over a brother who has been living in sin. You see, he needs to be reproved for what he is doing. The sin may be against the person which creates a conflict. You're going to this person because they've sinned against you, or the sin may not involve anyone else but just the person who committed it in God. Even this, however, creates a conflict between two people. Because if I'm worried about you and your soul, and I approach you about the state of your soul, and you get all bristly and upset, we're, we're probably going to have words. Hopefully that the person I'm approaching will, will listen eventually. And hopefully, if you're going to that person, you are doing so out of love and not out of some sort of pompous air. But we're still probably going to have some type of conflict. So we must go to that person, however, one on one, which is next. We see him face to face, but then one on one. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15 also reflects this. When you're mad at someone, do you run and, and tell a friend? Many people will do this, and sometimes it's a good idea. But that depends on your intentions. Are you running to tell this person to help you understand? Sometimes there's a conflict going on. It's in your heart. You've got an issue with this other person, and you want to just bounce it off someone. Now, don't go, don't go bounce it off Chatty Cathy, right, who's going to run and tell everybody else. You don't want to do that. It needs to be somebody that you trust, somebody who can depend on, someone who can help you better understand why you feel this way. And they may tell you, yes, you need to go to that person. And so that counsel can be very, very helpful. But are you trying to get that person on your side? Are you trying to build an arsenal? Are you trying to build an army to go after this person? That's how drama in middle school works, young people. That's how drama in high school works, maybe even in our workplaces, is that we try to get people rally to our side when that's really rather counterproductive to the Christian life. So if you're going to tell someone else, make sure it's to help you to understand the conflict better and then go to that other person one-on-one -on -one and face-to-face. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a citadel. Conflict's going to happen, and it's going to be very, very difficult, but we can work it through. If we follow these steps, go to the person face-to-face, one-on-one, and then finally, however, get help if the conflict is too much. Sometimes it, it can't be just you, especially with a brother caught in sin, a sister. Especially when you are involved in the conflict and you need a third party. You need someone who can think sensibly and kind of take the emotions out of it and help to resolve that conflict. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 16 says this, But if he does not listen to you, this brother you've gone to who's been caught in sin, if he does not listen to you, Take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be, con con may be confirmed. Again, this help must be out of concern, 
and not rallying people to your side? Are you gathering people to ruin the person's reputation or to pull the other person away from sin because there's a big difference? Are you being elevated because you've got the latest gossip? Or is this person we're worried about being saved from a sinful life? Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 22 says, Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. We must work to resolve our conflicts. And sometimes, you know, you're not going to get along with everybody. And this word right here will take you a long way. Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 says this, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. We must forgive each other. We're not always going to agree on everything. But maybe that's part of the resolution. Maybe that's part of the connection that we make. We're different in, in some things, and when we have that difference, we know that we can lift each other up because we just can't all be the same. But we can still appreciate each other because of those differences. Proverbs 15 and verse 22 says something that's not on my screen. Proverbs 15, or moving on, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. We've already read Proverbs. Philippians 2 and verse 4 says, Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. That's a lot of times what a conflict comes from, is that I want what I want. I'm not worried about you. Listen, everybody in this building, whether it's your first time here or if you were first in that first building we had built way back in the 1930s, everybody here has some type of interest that's important that we must be looking out for one another. So if you have a conflict in mind, if something's going on in your life, and you need to resolve that, pray about it, go to that person, ask for help from other people, and work towards some type of resolution. Because conflict resolution really is a skill-based issue. It's a, it's a listening skill, and there are other skills involved as well. One of the things is you must listen to your emotions. Are you upset over what has happened? Probably so. That's why there's a conflict. But then also listen to the other person. Too often we listen so we can respond rather than listen to understand. And that's what we must do. We must listen to understand so that the conflict is resolved and work towards a solution, whatever that solution might be. And I pray that it will be a scriptural one. I pray that it will be one that will strengthen your family, that will strengthen you as an individual and bring you closer to Christ. Because conflict is where Satan gets a foothold. Conflict is where he can bite on your pride and make you feel like you have an air of superiority and then look, start looking out for your own interest rather than the interest of others. What did our Lord and Savior do? He knelt down at the apostles' feet and he washed them. Just as a servant in that day would have. He knelt down and he washed the apostles' feet because he wanted to show them about humility. And sometimes whenever we have a conflict, that's the part we need to remember is we need to be humble and look out for the interest of others. But what helps with that is if you are a part of the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, the people asked, what shall we do to be saved? 
And Peter told them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We end each service here at Birdwell's Chapel with this talk about becoming a Christian. Because throughout the New Testament, when people ask what they should have done, what they must do, what they need to do to be saved, the message of baptism comes across loud and clear. Because the people believe already, the people have faith, now they, it clicks in their mind, there's one more thing I have to do, I'm sure of it, in order to move forward. And then Peter and the others, they have all said, you've got to be baptized. Even Jesus said it in Mark chapter 16. Go and teach the people and baptize them. If you want to become a Christian this morning, put on Christ, have that spirit of forgiveness that we talked about, have that spirit that looks out for other people, and become a part of the body of Christ. We can help you with that this morning. Or if you need prayers for forgiveness of sins and you are a Christian, we can pray for you as well. Won't you come?